Well, good morning from me, uh, and welcome from me if we haven't met. My name's Tim, I'm one of the elders here as well. It's a delight to uh, have you with us and to be able to worship together. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of the elders, thank you uh, for trusting us and for, more importantly, worshipping God. We, uh, we come to church, um, but church, as we know, is, and worship is not singing songs or even sort of holding to, to beliefs, but living out uh, with things like giving out of our bank account and saying to God, God, this is actually yours anyway. You've entrusted me with family, with friends, with health, uh, with finances, and I want to look after what you've given me well. So I want to commend you and thank you, say well done. And, uh, and actually on that, on that note, I just want to also commend you as a church. I just noticed more and more in recent months just the desire of this church to come under the word of God. And it's just, there's nothing more heartening for elders to know that even, yes, we may, you may have had difficult things happen in your past and reasons to find things like parenting or marriage difficult, and yet many people saying, but that's not the reason that I make my choices. I want to stand on what God says. And I just, as we heard in Ephesians 4, it is God's desire that we would grow into Christ-likeness and grow strong. So well done, and I want to commend you for that. So we are in this particular passage in Ephesians at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 where uh, Paul is now speaking into the context of spirit-filled households. We heard a few weeks ago that we wouldn't, we're not called to be drunk on wine but to be rather filled with the spirit, to be a spirit-filled people and with that we want to behave a certain way we are called to a new society. We've heard this throughout Ephesians. God, uh, Paul has consistently displayed God's eternal plan. As he said in chapter 1, God's desire is to unite all things under Christ. And then in chapter 3, God is pleased to demonstrate his wisdom, his multifaceted beauty and wisdom, even in the heavenly realms through the church. God wants this new society, this new people group, his family, to display his wisdom under Christ Jesus. And yet when we think of church, as we've just said, we don't, we're not called to think of just this, just this gathering, or even just ministry, but rather we're to think of being the bride of Christ who are uh, obedient to him in all of life, very much including, and if not beginning, in the home. So we're in this passage where we looked at marriage last week. We're looking at family and the family unit today. Uh, we're looking at uh, the work and, uh, and uh, employers, employees next week. God wants us to trust him for all of life. And it begins in the home. And I want to encourage you to tune in today. You might be here. You might be single. You might be married but have no children. Your children may have flown the nest years ago. You might be in your 80s, you may be a grandparent, but two things are clear in the Word of God regarding this. One, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So listen up. Don't think, well, I'm not a father of young children or a mother of young children at the moment or a child myself. It will bear fruit today if we listen to God's Word. The second thing is that the Bible is also clear that church is a family. That right now we are in family context. We're to treat women as sisters. We're to treat men as brothers, older men and older women as mothers and fathers. God intends for us to have a family atmosphere 
in church. There are things in this message today that God wants all of us to be encouraged and strengthened by. And for instance, I love it that my children think of men and women in this church as uncles and aunties. Even though we have no blood relatives here, they they feel that they are family with older men and women in this church. We love that. And we love that we're not parenting parenting them alone. I would have it no other way. I don't think we would survive parenting them alone. This is what it is to be spirit-filled life. This is the continuation of what Paul started talking about in chapter 5. And one author says it this way, If God has truly made his home with you, it will be evident in your home. If God has truly made his home with you, if you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, I trust you, it will be reflected in your household. I read this week that someone said that uh, a friend of theirs had watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And uh, after watching all three of them, she was blown away and she said, you know what, someone should write a book of those stories. And he said, like, you're kidding, right? And he realized she wasn't joking. She hadn't realized that it's a, classical, it's a classic piece of literature that's been loved by millions for many decades. And in some ways, we've got to be careful with uh, the family unit and marriage that we don't get it that way around. That we don't think uh, that actually these are convenient metaphors that God can use. But rather we get to represent God. We get to illustrate and reflect him in our relationships. It is in our families that we get to share the name. I get to share the name Father with the Father. I get to share the name Son with Jesus. I get to share the name Husband and Wife with Jesus and his Bride. I heard this other uh, great uh, illustration last week. You wouldn't drive to the Grand Canyon in the States and get three miles away and see a sign that says Grand Canyon, three miles this way. You wouldn't get out of your car and get a picnic and uh, sit there and take photos next to the sign and then get back in the car and drive away because it's a signpost to something much greater. And that's how we're supposed to see family relationships. Marriage and mothers and fathers. God wants us to see this is supposed to point to something of the family. Of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus and his bride, God and his beloved. And so as we look in this today, we want to keep that in mind. This is for all of us. Following Jesus, it begins at home. It invades our most personal and valuable decisions and relationships. So we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. Excuse me, screen, but if you have your Bible, it's worth having it open there. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And now the youth know why I said to stay in today. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Can I hear an amen? This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to pray off of the reading of the word, and then we'll jump into it. Father, we just want to welcome you here by your spirit, through your word, to continue to train and guide and encourage us. I pray, Lord, let our walls of mistrust and pain come down and let us trust your living word this morning. We pray, take us on from one degree of glory to the next. I do pray, give us ears to hear and bless us. Let this church be a, a mighty reflection of your family. 
And while our eyes are closed, why don't you just pray? God, if you're going to speak to me, please let me hear you today. Amen. Amen. Unfortunately, the context of our culture at the moment is that family is something that is uh, not cherished in a, a, a holy and uh, revered way that listens to the wisdom of God. As we heard last week, helpfully from Steph, autonomy is so highly prioritized, so highly regarded that actually, uh, you know, it can enter the home in unhealthy ways. Self-government, self-preoccupation, self-esteem, self-regard. All these things are prioritized so much that children are often either at the center of the household, center of the home, because we feel the need to promote and protect their autonomy. They must be able to be whoever they want to be, and we can't get in the way of that, so we're either fearful of them, or even we tend to almost worship them, or the other end of the spectrum, they can be disregarded, neglected, damaged by broken homes, or aborted in favor of parents having their autonomy. And we are closer to the old Roman Empire than we dare to imagine. Children are therefore often raised by television and media or by their peers. We claim to be such a progressive generation, don't we? But without the anchor of godly wisdom, we become fools. In the Roman Empire, unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones were killed, and even healthy children were regarded as undesirable because they get in the way of sexual promiscuity. And they make divorce more difficult. And the early church pierced through that callous and cruel and foolish culture of the Roman Empire. And we're called to do the same in our self-absorbed and drifting society. The early church valued children as Jesus taught them to. We're called to be a different society, set apart. And even the fact that Paul wrote in this letter to the children, expecting them to be in the gathering and valued them in that, it shows that that's something that was quite countercultural in the day. They were being regarded in the church. They were being spoken to. They were being loved and cherished in the church. How desperately we need a firm foundation to build our homes upon. As we heard last week from Steph, uh, we, we want to prioritize unity over flat equality that says everyone is exactly the same. I found that so helpful just to think, okay, it's not that we want disunity. Actually, we want unity, and we, we know that we are all equal before God. God is clear with that. He, he created man and woman equally. Children before God are equal, but there is a role that we are given that brings out beauty, that brings out responsibility that God has called us to. And we begin with the first verse here, the responsibility of the children. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now, it's helpful for us to hear here there are two words for children in the Greek. One of them means infant, and one of them means offspring. This means offspring. So it's not just talking to sort of five-year-olds and under. He's talking to my age and saying, honor my father and mother. He's talking to offspring. He's talking to particularly Children who would be able to understand and receive God's direction. So pre-teens and teens, this is actually perfect for you. And note the clarity of this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can you repeat after me? This is right. This is right. 
how often we need to know the difference between wrong and right in our society. It's all grey and murky. What is right? What is wrong? Well, the God of the universe says, obeying your parents is right. It is fitting. It works. It is beautiful. It's good. It's for your good. It's for society's good. And it's for God's glory. God has called children to take responsibility to honour their parents And he takes this responsibility seriously. In the Old Testament law, if a child struck or cursed a parent, it was a capital offence. He takes it so seriously. And in Romans 1.30, Paul describes the depravity of those who have totally turned their backs on God. And it's a list of ugly characteristics. And among that list is they disobey their parents. In 2 Timothy, he talks about the evils of the last days. And he says, in those days, children will disobey their parents. This is some serious thing that God takes passionately, seriously. So young people in the room, many of your peers want to be unique, right? You want to be individuals. I want to be different. I want to stand out. I want to rebel against being boring. Well, if you want to be truly different, unique, and rebel, honor your parents because no one else is doing that. Do it for Jesus. Why does Paul say we should honour our parents? Well, there's two reasons. Not because their parents are better or are more important than children. They aren't. Okay? We are not more important than you children. Parents, you are not more important. It is not necessarily because they're just in charge, although that can be helpful for a, a young child who cannot understand everything to know. Mummy's in charge. God's put daddy in charge. No, it is simply because God says it is right. It's right. In Colossians, Paul says this parallel verse, children should obey their parents because it pleases the Lord. So as we heard last week, there's a picture that Paul paints in Ephesians. Sit, walk, stand. Remember he talked about that? The beginning of the book of Ephesians, we're told about this identity that Christ has won for us, that we need to just sit in the goodness of, let it wash over us and understand, I am new. I've been made anew. I am a new creation. And then there is, I need to learn how to walk in that. And this is part of that outworking, that walking out of what it means to be a Christian. We sat in the glorious achievements in the first few chapters of Ephesians of Jesus on our behalf and begun to understand our new identity, our new life in him, it's right and fitting to then walk in that new life. And as a response to his love for you in the cross, seeing the depth of his love for you, that's, that's what gets me to trust him. I look at the cross and say, how could the king of the universe come and do that for me? I understand you love me more than I love myself. I can trust you. And it can be difficult, but that's where the trust comes from. So as a young person or a a child or um, still at home with your parents, this means that you don't really need to know. You don't really need to understand. You don't really need to fully agree with the reasons before you agree to comply with your parents. You don't really have to believe your parents know best. They often don't. You don't have to believe that cleaning your room is morally superior. It's not. As a Christian, you just need to remember obeying your parents is the right thing to do because Jesus has asked you to. It's as simple as that. He knows what he's talking about and he loves you. 
This also means that when you dishonor your parents, you dishonor God. And as, as we said at the beginning, remember, this isn't only for young people. Those of us with older parents, we're to continue honoring our parents. We're to continue holding them in high esteem. And parents, the fact that God says it's right for children to obey their parents means that for their parents, sorry, for their own good, it's, it's right for us to gently and lovingly require obedience. Secondly, why should we obey our parents? Because it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. The promise that was made uh, to Israel in the Old Testament that if we are the kind of society and have the kind of families that teach and encourage and experience obedience and honoring of parents, those that trust God's decrees, they will survive well. They will experience the blessings of the outworking of God's design. It's not as though God is asking us to do something horrendous and saying, but there is a prize if you do it. It's not like we have to sacrifice like Jesus did going to the cross. It's horrible, but I will do it trusting you for the prize. No, there's glory in, in the honoring of parents, in the obedience. There is benefit for both of you in it. It's glorious. Yes, it is difficult, but it undergirds the fabric of the household and of the society. And when a promise is given, it's a matter of trust, isn't it? Any promise, when it's given, it's a matter of trust. Do you trust God enough to make this a lifestyle? We can all go to the gym once or twice and not see any benefit and think it doesn't really work. But if we go as a lifestyle, if we go as a habit, you will certainly experience the benefits. God promises benefits to you if you trust him with this. God's promise here is double-pronged. Blessing first, it will go well with you. It will be good for you. You'll be blessed if you follow and uh, trust and obey your parents. It will be good for you. It will be a blessing to you. There will be a lack of animosity in the household. There will be a, a, a lack of shame and guilt and frustration. It will be good with you. Your parents love you. And secondly, protection and safety. You will live long in the land. There's something about how God has set up the household that if we are to honor our parents, it actually brings us safety, a protection. Now, obviously, Paul isn't saying that children who honor and obey their parents will never come into any problems. But he's more saying if you refuse to honor and obey your parents, you are asking for problems. And so it's something, again, for us to trust God with. Now, from the other side, parenting is a biblical mandate and a general responsibility for both parents. And yet, at this uh, verse 4, Paul turns his attention towards the fathers, this word being uh, pateres. And you might see if you've got your NIV open, the footnote says this can mean parents in general. But in the context here, we see that Paul has already used a different word for parents, which is gonusin in verse 1. And then he talks about mothers and fathers. And now he uses this word fathers. So it's more likely that he is turning to the fathers as they have a particular responsibility here. And that particular responsibility might be as simple as this. Don't leave it to mum. Don't just leave parenting to mum. No, set a tone in your household. And I just want to raise something that hopefully is pretty obvious to you. You will, if you're a father, set a tone in your household, whether that is a passive tone or an active tone. 
God has made it in a way where the father will set a tone in the household. And we're, he's calling fathers, don't, uh, don't relinquish responsibility. Don't anger your children. And I want to encourage mothers here, don't be discouraged about this, particularly if there's no father in the home or your, fa- your, your children's father is not a believer. Because Paul speaks to Timothy in his letter to him about the sincere faith that he sees in him that was passed to him by his mother. And was passed to her by her mother. Mothers, you have a mighty calling. And we both uh, parent together, mothers and fathers. This is certainly teaching for both parents to heed. And he starts here with this negative instruction followed by a positive one. Firstly, negative. Do not provoke your children to anger. If you've got the NIV, it would be don't exasperate your children. And in the parallel passage at Colossians that I mentioned earlier, he says, don't provoke your children, they will be discouraged. Okay, so anger, discouragement, they'll be exasperated. And I thought it'd just be helpful just to think of some of the ways from experience and and I'm sure from experience in the room, from being a child as well as being a parent, that it's possible to provoke your children to anger. Firstly, not giving them space to be children. Letting them be children. If we lack patience or we lack patience or or enjoyment of them, if we lack enjoyment of their silliness, of their childlikeness, of silly fun, if we lack patience with their imagination and quickly snuff out enthusiasm, if we uh, lack patience with slow learning and we think, well, I can just answer that for you now, then we can snuff out enthusiasm and we can... uh, cause them to be exasperated or discouraged. Don't be overly quick to correct things. You, you may have this in a work situation where you may have a boss and you think, I've got an idea, and the boss quickly says, oh, I've got this better idea. You think, well, you didn't even really hear me, and I just feel snuffed out. That can happen, I've, I've experienced that recently with my children, I just recognize it in myself, in a, in, in a desire or maybe a laziness to just think, well, I've got the answer here, and that just sorts that, and next thing. And the child's thinking, but i but I'm, he's exploring, and he's working out, and he's learning, and I want to give space for that. Let children be children. There may be things that they need to be teased out, and they need time to discover. Secondly, comparing them to others, especially siblings, sets the wrong tone. And it sets the wrong standard. We're not asking them to reach the standard of a sibling. They're not all the same, and we shouldn't expect them to all be the same, uh, We need to be careful of not making them feel that one child is judged against another. This doesn't have to be within a household. It can be, you know, so-and-so's child does that. Uh, Be careful about comparing them to others. Thirdly, being inconsistent. Uh, Inconsistency is so unhelpful for children. They don't know where they stand or fall. They don't know what mood mum or dad is going to be in, which day to which. And particularly with discipline. If you feel, if a, if a child is thinking, well, yesterday you didn't mind me doing that, and today you got really frustrated with me, there's got to be a consistency. It can really drive them to discouragement. Fourthly, failing to praise them even for small accomplishments. I remember hearing an old message years ago where a pastor said that he went on holiday with his children and he listened out to what was the most frequent thing that was said, and it was, Dad, watch me. And a child wants to be watched, wants to have the attention of their parents, failing to praise them even for small accomplishments. They want proper attention, that we're not too busy with our phones and just going, oh, yeah, well done, yeah. 
But we're saying, hey, that's great. For a small thing, where they tried hard at something, where, for something that no one else has noticed, where they've been a little bit helpful, encouraging them, saying, well done, I saw that. Again, that can be something that we can all do, isn't it? We don't have to have children in here to see a child in the church, pick up a piece of rubbish and put it in the bin and say, hey, well done, that was great. Small things to encourage children. Failing to express your love for them. Let's not hold back in expressing our love. You may not be a touchy-feely or, or open with your affections, and that may be because you didn't receive that. But let's not let our experience be what governs how we are going to parent. Let's express our love, and we don't have to whip up something that's not real. We can say we can dwell on the love of God and share the love of God with them. We are conduits of the love of God. And understanding he has loved me, such a good father. I want to love my children the same way. A few more here, things that we we don't want to do to provoke our children. Being harsh or disciplining them for accidents that they didn't mean to do. Things that they need patience for and losing our frustration. Next one, indulging them and not disciplining them. We actually need to remember that children are uh, um, hungry to know What are the parameters? What are the boundaries here? They're helped and they feel more secure when they know that the boundaries are secure. There's a great old analogy of what I've heard it a few times of um, if you get onto roller coaster and the the thing comes over, uh, what's the first thing you do? You check it. Is this actually in place? Is this actually going to hold me? Am I secure? And children will push against the boundaries. Teenagers will push. But a lot of that is to know, is this even in place? Do you really care? Do you really, is this, do you really mean what you said? And so let's, let's be those who uh, don't indulge them, uh, but we discipline. We stand clear on where the boundaries are, and we help them to know the clarity of those things. A few more things. Don't pressure them to achieve your goals rather than theirs. I'll just leave that one there. Never repenting or apologizing for your mistakes. I'll just come on to that a bit more in a moment because we want to be households of grace. The way that Paul ends these four verses is quite clear on that. But we want to be those who are displaying, hey, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. And I will say sorry to you when I've got something wrong. And uh, lastly here I've got, don't parent, try not to parent them with fear rather than with faith. It's easy to always or often imagine the worst scenario and overreact to prevent it before they've had a chance to try. Let them climb trees every now and again. Young bones are there to be broken. They'll fix. Okay? Let them try things as long as you know they're not going to die. Uh, we want to not parent with fear. And it might not be physical activities. It might be, he li- I mean, I get this. He, he lied to me. If he's going to lie to me, he'll end up in prison. You know, like, whoa, I jumped a long way there. But I love, I don't want my children to go the wrong way. And fear can jump in and you can think, ah, I've got to come down that hard. Well, what's happened there? I've just jumped into fear and I've started parenting with that. So let's not provoke our children. And uh, quickly, this doesn't mean that if your child pouts or gets angry about your discipline, that you're getting it wrong. Your child is not supposed to use this verse to manipulate you. Say, I'm getting angry, you're doing this badly. No, they'll often not like your decisions, but that is not what this is referring to. The aim is not just that your children will never be angry or frustrated or disappointed with your decisions. The aim is that they will trust you and be joyfully 
living in fullness and security and obedience. The aim is for them to be in unity and trusting you. Okay, rather, so we've gone through the negative, don't exasperate your children, rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. So this, this, this sounds very simple, but the word in the Greek is uh, ektrephi or ektrephite, uh, and it is to nourish and feed, bring to health. Okay, he's just used this same word in the previous chapter when he said, no one hates his own body, but ektrephite, nourishes and feeds. So nourish and feed. Don't uh, exasperate them, but nourish and feed them. How are you feeding your children? How you feed them, it makes a difference. This is true mentally and spiritually as well as physically. How are you feeding your children? What are your children noticing that is important or unimportant to you? Do you read to them? There's research I was reading recently, research that uh, reading aloud with your children is extraordinarily beneficial to their development. Do you read with them? What do you read with them? Do you ask them questions and help them to think well, feeding their mental development? Not just that they're happy with their PlayStation and carrying on and, okay, they seem okay. But no, I, wanna, I want them to be able to think well so that when all the questions of mental health, when the questions of gender, when the questions of what is go- identity come into their minds, they know how to think well. They're well prepared. They're well fed. They're healthy. And so we want to uh, feed our children carefully. Do you serve spiritual meals? Do they know what... Do they know that biblical truth is a priority in the diet of your household rather than an occasional snack? Is it a diet in our household that we feed on the word of God? Okay. Along with the idea of feeding and nourishing, Paul places two other key words, training or discipline and instruction. And discipline is really helpfully opened up in Hebrews chapter 12. I think we've got it on the screen. It just says these few words, verses here. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's powerful, isn't it? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline that's done well, the purpose of it is fruitfulness, life, courage, strength. It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant for the child. It's supposed to be for a short time, for them to feel the effects of bad decisions. It's not easy for the young person to receive, but we we remember it's not easy for the parent either. It's much easier for us to be lazy or overly lenient, then follow up. It can go both ways. Either we can be overly harsh or we can be overly lax. But God's wisdom is so crucial here. We love our children 
And they even know they are our children through our loving discipline. It said in verse 7 of Hebrews there, God is treating you as sons. There's an ownership of, that is my son. I will have to take him through uh, some training here. And one thing that can be important here is to be clear about the requirements in your household. To be clear together with your spouse if you're married. To be clear about what the requirements are and then follow them up when they're broken. Don't wait till you're exasperated, like, I'll let that go, I'll let that go. All the time, frustration is building up. And then you end up exploding with emotion rather than training calmly. So we follow up early and say, hey, we've said not to do that. You're going to have to go and sit on a step for a minute or whatever it might be. Because actually, we want to train them. This is not about discipline becoming an outlet for our feelings and our emotions. And just exploding because we got irritated. No, we want to train them not react to what's annoying us. And at the end, he says here, instruct them. Instruction, laying down principles, warnings, explaining imperatives. The book of Proverbs is set on this promise, uh, premise. Wisdom for life, it begins with honoring God. So first of all, we honor God. And how do we honor God? By listening to our father and mother. It says in Proverbs 1, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. We're called to communicate with our children, to instill in them the wisdom that they need to make the right choices. Surely we all care about this. Surely we care about this. I want them to be well prepared, wise, to understand how to take the rough and the smooth, to take the peaks and the troughs of life, understanding how to traverse this life. And what's more, Paul is not vague in what type of instruction is most important. His final words, instruction of the Lord. Not of the law, but of the Lord. As he has been taking us through this whole letter in the gospel and the beauty of what Jesus has done. The need for Jesus. How he has fulfilled that need and how he has come to us. We want to be a gospel-centered home, that Jesus has invaded our hearts, Jesus has invaded our lives and changed us from head to toe, then he should invade our home as well. Christian parents are called to instruct their children in the gospel. First and foremost, it's important that we train them in the Lord. They need to know about a holy God who created the universe and sits enthroned and will one day judge the living and the dead in righteousness and truth. They need to know that God has sent his own son who willingly and lovingly and perfectly obeyed his father to the point of death, a death that was on their behalf. And they need to know that when they're disobedient, the offer of wonderful and glorious forgiveness is there in Christ Jesus if they're to put their trust in him. We're called to Train and instruct our children in the Lord. They need to know the story. They need to sit in it. They need to uh, let it cover them. They need to let it wash over them. And their parents have the primary responsibility for that. They need to learn to walk in the goodness of it. And their parents are primarily responsible for helping them with that. And they need to know how to stand in it. And again, it is parents, whether you are a spiritual parent or a blood parent or an adopted parent, it is your responsibility. Let's stand together helping our young people, children, spiritual nephews and nieces to sit in the gospel, walk in it, and stand in it together. I'm just going to invite my wife for five minutes. She's just going to come and we're going to look at a few things that 
can help practically how can we help each other in a marital, marital situation and how can the church help us to parent well together? Hello. Hey. Um, yeah, we just were looking at this together and we just really felt it's so important to be on the same team. Um, Jesus says in Mark, a house divided cannot stand. And that has a massive impact. I know you'll be aware of that when you see kids, when things are unstable or unsettled, they pick up on that. And so just backing each other in the moment, um, even if you disagree with how each other are handling it, being able to have those disagreements away from that moment and talk things through. Um, being able to honour each other's words and requests, um, helping each other to stick to things that you've said, whether that's things like... Um, oh, I've noticed you said that a few times, but maybe we need to follow that up now. Or would you like me to help you with that? Mm. Um, yeah, just really being able to back each other. And I think respect's massive, isn't it? Helping kids understand how to appeal, how to um, disagree with respect, but maybe also helping one another to hear the issue rather than the disrespect that's coming in that moment. Mm. Um, so being able to lift each other's gaze, um, being able to pray together, being able to live a life that is... Um, impacted by the gospel together, being a, living a life of the spirit together. So lifting each other's eyes in that moment, saying, let's pray about this. Let's um, think about the sin that's impacting our own lives. And let's call up, let's pray over our kids as they are um, being impacted by the sin, sin in their life. Yeah, it's very helpful when, um, uh, well, it's not helpful when the, the, that, that thing where we can be tempted to say, don't tell your mum or, you know, wife, don't tell your dad, let you do this. We want to be never letting that happen in our household and say, no, I'm, we're on the same team, actually. That will help the children be more secure. And that thing of as well, as you were just alluding to, of um, helping our, us lift our gaze to where we can get drawn in emotionally and feel very personal between us and the child when actually we need to be pulled back. And sometimes, you, even if you're not in the same room, you can be hearing a conversation between, you know, your spouse and the child, and you think, hey, that's... That's, that's got personal. It doesn't need to. You know, we need to be sure of where we stand as parents. And, and, and I, can, we, I can talk to you. You can talk mm. to me. So that is helpful just to pull back the, the emotional uh, baggage there and just say, come on, let's... let's uh, and sometimes you've actually said, do you want me just to step in here and take yeah. over? And I'll, I, I'm like, yes, can you just, <laughs> just give me five minutes in the garden? Tem, do you need a timeout? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I need a timeout, yeah. Um, and... If we're living lives impacted by the gospel, we also want to be modelling that, don't we? We want to be modelling what it is to obey in the other context that we're in, but also helping our kids understand what it looks like to obey God for ourselves. So it's not just them obeying us, we're obeying God. Mm. How, it is, how are we living lives that are instructed by the word? How are we bringing that into our children's lives? Are we sharing what we're reading? Are we sharing how it's impacting us and shaping and moulding us? Are we chewing on the word together as a family? If one of you is brilliant at um, bringing in memory verses or a Bible study, back each other in that. Mm. Um, we do that as a family in the morning at breakfast time. And I'm rubbish in the morning. And there's been times where Tim's had to say, Ez, are, you with, are you with me? Mm. And just to remind, yeah, I actually need to be modelling what it looks like to engage in this because I want them to be engaging in this as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think that's helpful. Those sorts of things, just standing together, being united, um, being a good model for them to follow. Um, and we've talked about this. I mean, Tom's talked about this recently. Let, let's, we want to worship. I was so enjoyed this morning just dancing with my kids. It's unusual. Um, but being able to model, I, we enjoy and we prize Jesus in our mm. household. Uh, we're excited about him. We, well, let's move on to the next one because we can bring that into the next conversation. But the next the question would be, how can church family 
be helpful to us in our parenting. Yeah, so you've heard the age-old phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, and it really does. And we see that in the gospel, we see that in the Bible, God calls us to be family together, and we want to be doing life alongside each other. Um, and in Romans 12, it says it's better to do life together than on your own. So we can't be strangers. If we're going to do this together, we need to be in each other's lives. We need to be opening up our homes to one another, opening up the messy bits, not, not the picture-perfect um, Christmas cards, but the times when the wheels are coming off and the suicide hour at five o'clock when everyone's losing it because they're hungry. Um, so yeah, let's open our lives up. That has to be intentional. That has to be something that you invite others into and that you give each other permission to speak into, asking each other, how did you find that? Or did, was I, did I take that too far? What did you think about? How are you handling this in your family's life? Get alongside people that you just admire and respect. We've got so many experienced and um, godly um, parenting in this church and and yeah use that we've got gems here to be um, redeemed and to be um, treasured so let's yeah let's learn from each other let's get alongside people that we want to um, learn from and let's ask people to speak into our lives and um, let's be intentional about with our kids something we really love is that we want our kids to have godly men and women in their lives apart from us because we know there's going to be times that they're not going to want to hear what we have to say and we're intentional about that now we want them to be building relationships with men and women in this church that they love and respect mm. and and so we want to have people over in times when our kids are up and around and we want to invite them into conversations um, and model that with them from an early age yeah it's obviously fine to have friends over when the kids are in bed but we don't want that to always be the case we want to have you know friends over when the children are around and we learned so much as a couple before we had children um, from people when we would go to their house and they would have their children around and we'd pick up on how they were making decisions and how they were speaking to their children. And as Esme said, we want our children to have uh, friends in here that are not uh, their peers but older people they can look to. And we do. And, and, and um, we, you know, when there's that level of trust, we've got friends here who would back us up in our parenting and have done. If I'm not around, then Esme's with our four li three lively boys and, and girl and they're not listening, they, we've got friends who would step in and say, hey, your mum's just said this. Mm. And that's helpful, because actually the goal is, uh, children, obey and honour your mother and father. And we can help each other by helping our children do that. Not coming down harshly on them, but saying, hey, I, I thought I heard your mum say that. I thought I heard your dad. Why don't you just... Um, why don't you just help, you know, why don't you just listen to what your parents yeah. are saying? You know? And similarly encouraging. We all know that it's really a hard job and it's yeah. often a thankless task. So we can often feel like we're not doing well in. So if you see things you want to honour in each other, let's, let's be each other's biggest encouragers. Let's do that for kids. Like Tim said, if you see them doing something that you know their parents asked them to do or, um, yeah, just yeah. applauding them in that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Young people, yes, let's be doing that for one another. Yeah. When, again, when we see growth in them, like we should do with each other more and more, to say, hey, I saw, I just see the love of God in you. I see the way that you treat people. I'd love to, to know that people in this church were doing that for my, for my children, saying, hey, that was, a, that was a great prayer you prayed or something mm. like that, to encourage them as they, as they grow. And let's not shy away. I think in moments of discipline, it can be uncomfortable, and we can seek to um, alleviate that by saying, oh, don't worry, I don't mean that. I don't mean mind if he does that. I don't mind if. Yeah. But if you see a parent trying to follow through on something, give them space to do that. Mm. Encourage them in that. Um, back them in that. In that moment. Yeah, I mean, parenting is so hard, and let's and and we knew as, as we were going to talk about this that um, many or most parents feel like they are failing or not doing very well, and uh, it's just 
hard. So you will feel like that, and it's not necessarily true at all. And it's, uh, I, I, one of the things I read this week was a guy saying, sometimes I feel that success as a parent is that my children don't end up in prison. Sometimes I feel that it's success if I don't end up in prison. <laughs> uh, it's hard work. And so we want to just encourage one another, give each other space and grace. And we want them to see us knowing the relief of grace, seeing us enter into it and not feeling ourselves always guilty or, oh, I shouldn't have done this, but knowing, oh, thank God he's forgiven me. And, and we, you know, one of the things we say to our children, if they say sorry to each other or they say sorry to us, we don't actually allow them to say it's okay because it's not okay. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had to say sorry. So we say, I forgive you. So we make sure that's clear. There's an exchange of repentance and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And so this thing there, I'm tr- we're trying to help them to understand the, the narrative of the gospel. But we need to uh, wrap up. But there was a few uh, resources that we just wanted to share with you if you were interested in. in uh, there's a few parenting books. We've got yeah. pictures of them. The first one. Yeah. Yeah, Gospel Parent Parenting. This is huge. It just really helped me to understand how do I bring the gospel into the everyday life of my kids? How do I live it out with them and help them understand and receive it? Yeah, next one. Yeah, love and respect in the family. This is also something I've read recently, which I've really enjoyed. Just helped me understand how kids need to receive love, how we need to receive respect, and how when we that there becomes a fault in that, we can get into a chaos cycle, and it's very easy to feel overwhelmed and like you don't know how to reset. But this was something that was really helpful in mm. understanding that more. And uh, this one, parenting by Paul Tripp, is both very practical, but also helps the parents to understand our responsibility before God and walking with him hand by hand in hand, him helping us in our hearts as we try to parent well. Um, And then a few things we just wanted to point out. Louis Giglio has written three fantastic books like this. I know that many of you have got them because we've seen them in your households. 100 Indescribable Devotions About God and Science. He's done three of them, and they're just excellent breakfast time, sort of between five and ten minute resources. Uh, Really encourage. They have great pictures and really interesting science facts and help us to see the glory of God. And then finally, I just wanted to, I think I've mentioned this one before, the Family Pilgrim's Progress is an excellent story of the, well, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, it's just a really good adaptation of it that kids can really keep up with. And it has excellent illustrations of, of things like despair and things like discouragement and encouragement and knowing how to, uh, as I was saying earlier, how to think when life hits us in certain ways, how to take that, walk that with God. Okay. We're going to finish up. We're going to pray for people. You had a few yeah. things that you felt would be encouraged. Yeah, just in preparing, just really felt God speak to me about two things that people might want to receive prayer today. Um, firstly, around fear of calling your kids to obedience, um, going against the grain and how others might perceive that as you do that. Um, I really feel like he wants to bring freedom for that today. And for some of you, you may be struggling to trust God yourself with his call to obey. So particularly around that word, bringing fear for you. And we'd love to pray for you. God wants to meet with you, and he wants to help you in this. Okay. Would you just stand with us while we just... Uh, this is, as we said a few times throughout this, it's not just for maybe 10% of the room who are right in that place, but that we all have benefit from this. We all can be blessed and be a blessing to one another. Father, we thank you for what you have created in family. We thank you that in family... We are a signpost to the glorious family, the father, the son, the, the, the husband, the bride. We thank you, God, that you have called us to represent you in beautiful ways. We thank you you've inspired us, that you have um, given us 
uh, things to aim for, that we love you because you first loved us. We trust you because you are the one who loves us more than we love ourselves. And I do pray, Lord, for all the different people, different ways they would have heard things this morning. And some of those would have felt, oh, I've messed up in that area, or we've, we've really dropped the ball in that area, or, or um, I was never parented well myself. And Lord, I just want to pray for your healing touch, Lord, now, to just for the comforter to come and to give encouragement, to bring peace, to bring restoration. And we do pray, Lord, that I do really believe that the family unit, the Christian family unit, will be one of the best apologetics of the next few decades, that as the world looks on and sees healthy, loving households in the church, they will know that's a different society. So I pray, Lord, let us reflect you well. Let us be prepared to say, I repent, I've been getting it wrong. I pray, help our young people to go against the tide, an avalanche, really, that says, no, you do what you want to do. Lord, I pray, help us to be determined to say, I lay it down for him who laid it down for me. We bless your glorious name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.